This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I am joined once again, as always, with Jim Sebastio. Hey, Jim, good to see you. Hi, Brian. I'm not always here, but most always now. Always in spirit, if there's that rare time you're <laughs> That's not. That's true. So, <laughs> so we're going de- to dig into an important topic again uh, for this episode. Before we do that, if this podcast has been helpful to you, would you do us a favor? Go to iTunes, write a review for us. It helps us to get feedback, helps us to grow, uh, to do this better. But it also spreads the word of the podcast. So, And if you have a social media platform, if there's been an episode that's been helpful to you, you know, retweet that, whatever, you know, put that on your social media and spread the word. That'd be a big help to us. Uh, we also launched a new website last month, practicalshepherding.com. is the rebuilt website. It's, it's really easy to maneuver through. Tons of content and resources. If you haven't visited yet, let me encourage you to go and, and check that out. You can also contact us through the website. And please do that, especially if there's a topic you want us to tackle on the podcast here. For this week, uh, we want to talk about, we've gotten several questions about ordination. The ordination of, of pastors specifically. And what is it? What is that process? And this is a loaded question, depending on your background, your denomination, uh, your your education that you had theologically and that school's convictions about this, uh, the church you grew up in, there's all kinds of things that influence this. So we want to we're going to try to tackle this to the best of our ability. Jim, get us some kind of biblical grounding to stand on before we dig into this. Okay, I'll try to do that, Brian, real quickly. And I, I think the, the the first question is is this a is this a situation circumstance that's addressed in the Word of God? Or is it a matter of theological tradition and, and practicum? Is it, or is this exegetical? I think we're given reason to hope that it's that it should be exegetical. Um, Paul, writing in in First Timothy three, uh, says, you know, he says, "I've written these things so that you might know how men ought to behave, or could be translated, must behave, uh, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth." That is that there are things that are addressed, written, and in that particular context, it's actually the offices of the church, elders and deacons, their number and their qualification, and then something of their function is laid out there. So Paul says, in case I'm delayed, I write these things. Well, we're thankful he was delayed because he wrote those things so that we might know how men ought to behave right. in the church of God. And there is a particular ecclesiology there uh, in that passage as it relates to it. And so in regard to asking the question, how many offices are there in the church? We uh, we answer from the Word of God that there's two, there's that two. there are elders and there are deacons. No, an elder being a pastor. An elder same and pastor office, being, right, the, right the, that's our conviction that the same terminology, uh, Acts 20, 28, where you have the uh, overseer, shepherd, pastor, all, uh, elder, all of those terminologies being put there. Remember, there's Southern Baptists listening to this who don't uh, know what an elder is. Just That's why I'm throwing right. that out there. I, I got to defend my Southern Baptists who are trying to figure this out. So, right. Yeah. Well, that's so that's it. So you come across passages like that, and you, you're, you're in a particular ecclesiastical uh, tradition where this has been ignored uh, or being viewed as dangerous. Right. And then maybe you came across it in a book. Maybe you read Alexander Strauch's Biblical Eldership. You listened to Mark Dever or somebody on something, or you visited a church, and you found out they had these things called elders. 
And you think, what in the world are those things? And uh, where does that come from? Uh, Or in somebody's, oh, that's Presbyterian. And say, well, no, here it is in the Bible. It's rooted in the Old Testament. You have Old Testament elders, and then that same terminology is used in the in the New Testament in the in a church setting. So, what did elders do in the Old Testament? Well, they they led and and help oversee, help govern, so that uh, for the good of the flock. And then that same terminology is carried over into the into the New Testament model, you find in Acts uh, that once uh, Paul and Barnabas had Acts 14, having gone around and planted churches, they came back and they appointed not an elder, not a pastor, but elders in every place. Right. Uh, then you have Paul's exhortation to Titus and Titus 1, uh, I've left you in Crete uh, so you may take care of the things that remain. And again, Pointing elders, elders, and and, and here is the idea. You find the plurality of elders, Philippians 1. Paul greets the church, including the elders and deacons. Uh, He says, uh, remember them that spoke the word of God to you. Follow not him, but them. Uh, You find, again, this repeated reality that there are at least two. I don't know how many more than that, but at least two. Uh, and every church is what you're striving after. Now, there are true churches that have no elder. There are some true churches that obviously then can have one elder. The churches that I mentioned a moment ago in Acts existed as churches. They appointed elders in every church. They didn't mm-hmm. become churches when they got elders. So the ideal is, the biblical pattern is, the biblical norm is that there is a plurality of elders. So you ask the question, of, we've never done that before. How do you introduce that? So, Brian, how do you introduce that? Well, I think before where we got to start here for after that is it's helpful, just a quick on biblical theology of that New Testament, is that the idea of, so what you just described biblically is the affirmation and appointing of elders in every local church. Right. The idea of ordination, we have to acknowledge is man-made. In mm-hmm. this sense, well, yeah, you the, do have the laying on of hands the, the, and those kinds of matters. But, but I think, like I said, this category is appointing, affirming. Mm-hmm. Right, right, the right. Termin- how, how, right I ahead. want to be clear: the terminology of ordination, right, in general, in the modern day, is 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 a, a term made up. It's pointing to that affirmation, mm-hmm. but it also can mean a lot of different things, especially depending on what country you live in, what denomination you're in, right. all those kind of things. So I want to acknowledge that because everybody has their different understanding of what an ordination actually is. What does it mean to ordain, Brian? I think ordination is that affirming of those two offices. The way I use ordination in our church and I advocate for is ordination is the affirming, the appointing of those two offices. We don't ordain to anything else Mm -hmm. other than those two. So it's a way, I think, to make a distinction in a local church of who's ordained Who's affirmed to these two offices? Because there's other leaders in the church. There's other kinds of positions and staff roles and all those kinds of things. But somebody who's ordained to a biblical office, I I, I see that as separate. And that's how we try to distinguish it. Um, now, the reason I want to advocate, I do want to advocate for ordination. I think we need to go here too. In that there are some churches, there are some circles even that don't technically ordain. I have friends of mine who affirm and appoint elders in their church, but they don't technically ordain. So the, the the term ordain is also linked to a legality in our in our government, in our in our culture. To where if you're ordained in the United States and, and you're ordained according to that denomination's criteria, mm-hmm. then you are allotted 
uh, certain tax benefits and other yeah. benefits right, from right, that. Right, right, right. So that's the other reason I want to understand this terminology. You can be an appointed, affirmed elder at a healthy church. It happens. I, I know churches like this. That you are not recognized as ordained by the state, which means you do not get the tax benefits mm-hmm. and the other things that come with that. Interesting. Okay. Then there's people who can go online and pay $30 right. and get ordained quotes. Yeah. And that's not ordination. So that's why I want to use the, this terminology is is man-made ultimately with that word. Okay. But that I want to draw those distinctions. And we want to advocate that ordination, we're talking about the ordin- the affirming of deacons and pastors, elders in those two offices in a local church. So we're going to focus on elders here. So I think there's two questions that really just very quickly wanted to deal with. And one is help somebody who's never gone through this before. They, they, they see it in the Bible. Now they're, they're convinced it's in the Bible. And, and so, one is, so how does that person help the congregation? And so I don't know if you want to try to handle that real quickly and then just say, all right, so, so Brian, we don't have any elders. Uh, I mentioned it to somebody. Their eyes got wide. Their knees yep. trembled. You know, they had a gun. You know, they started to pull out against me. They were terrified mm-hmm. of what I was going to bring into the church. How do you help somebody comes into a cir- cir- situation where this has never been, it's not part of their tradition, and to say, we do believe this is, it's not just that, hey, a lot of churches are doing this. Let's try this. Right. But you want to say this is what the Word of God teaches. Yeah. So that's what I walked into. So so for those listening who don't know my story, I walked into a Southern Baptist church, old school Southern Baptist church that had single pastor deacons model where the deacons actually were pseudo elders. They had the authority Mm -hmm. of that office. And that's very typical in SBC life. Uh, So, But uh, I saw in the Bible the need for plurality. And then I saw in the Bible the need for deacons to actually play a deacon role and not be pseudo-elders. So I spent several years slowly trying to move our church that way. You have to start with teaching the Bible on this. Mm-hmm. This is Like you said, this is not, from a pragmatic standpoint, I would advocate for elders because I think it's most helpful right, for the church. Right. But that's not that's where you start. Exactly right. You start with the Bible. The Bible is clear all throughout the New Testament. Unless it is describing a single elder in regard to its characteristics or qualification mm-hmm. consistently in the new testament when that office is mentioned it's in the plural right so i saw a clear plurality there's supposed to be more than one and it makes a lot of sense why that would be but to come into a church that's never done that you have to spend not months years mm. teaching on this mm. and convincing a church that has nothing no idea about this and by the way has baggage and wounds probably from right. this as well yeah so for my example I used the term elder, and that became very confusing to Southern Baptists because they're like, are you trying to make us Presbyterian? I've right. never heard this term at all. Right, right, right. right. So you got to know your people. Right. Show them in the Bible. So right. you got to show them in the Bible, and then you've got to contextualize it. Right. So I started using the term pastor because Southern Baptists, yeah, I'm a right. pastor. They knew what a pastor was, and so then I had to help them see what I'm talking about is multiplying me. More mm-hmm. more men like me to serve this church, so it's not just me. And when I started contextualizing, this right. is what this looks like. Right. In a different church, it's going to look differently. So I think so. You got to start with the Bible, then you have to practically help the church, you know, understand what you're advocating. What, what does this mean? Because one of the disagreements in our church was they thought, oh, you're running to bring more pastors on. Does that mean we're moving to a rulership? of pastors, Mm -hmm. they thought I was taking the congregational element. Mm -hmm. I had never said that. I had Mm -hmm. no intentions of doing that. For some reason, 
That's what it was interpreted by bringing. Sure. So you've got to know your context. You've got to try to see the landmines and move really slowly. Yeah. Now, Brian, in my context, I was a church planter, so it didn't take years. It was I, I, my first. You started with elders, didn't I, you? Yeah. Well, we did. Well, well, of course, we weren't a church yet. So, but I, I taught for forty weeks the doctrine of the church, the ecclesiology. So I dealt with the identity of the church, uh, the uh, task of the church, the membership of the church, and the leadership of the church. And so people were coming basically with, I'm willing to learn. I, I, I'm willing to unlearn what I've learned. I'm willing to learn. I, I'm just coming here with an open Bible saying, all right, what, is it, what does it really say about this? And so yeah. that was a benefit of being able to do that. And, and I think that you can easily... You ought to be able to use it because it's not just one text. There's multiple texts, both doctrinal texts as well as narrative texts that talk about uh, this plurality. By so, the way, a side note, Jim, just curious, because it worked for you, but would you advocate for a church planter to spend the first 40 weeks? Because like, I bet like when the smoke cleared after 40 weeks of that opening series, <laughs> the people who are still there had a really firm grasp of the ecclesiology you were pushing and what the, what the church was supposed to be. And they're like, I'm in. Is that what you found at the end of I that did. 40 weeks? I did. Okay. And 30 years later, most of them are still here. I, 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 I think it's a wonderful testimony. I, yeah. I, would, I would be curious if you would advocate for that in I, other I, settings. I don't know that I'd say do 40, but I would say if you're planting a church— and people, you, you just can't take for granted that people understand what that means. Absolutely, right? And it's even yeah. like, like if you were to say to a group of people, hey, let's go build a house. Or if I said, draw me a house. Yeah. Well, there'd be certain things similar, but there would be, you know, some would be ranches, some would be mansions, some would be colonial, mm. you know, what, whatever it is. Yeah. You have your own idea of what that looks like. And so you begin to say, all right, we, we need to have the word really shape this, what we're talking about uh, in regard to these things. So Brian, real quick, I, I yep. think what ordination. So I think we can we can say there is a process right. and an event. Yeah. So a process is recognizing, training, scrutinizing, because the word of God warns us don't lay hands hastily on anyone. That's right. So you, you have to be careful about this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make some I I, I would make some radical uh, statements. I'm not SBC. Go ahead. Uh, it is that the idea of a guy candidating for a weekend, preaching a trial sermon, and being voted on? Ooh, no. Jim, uh, that's how most Southern Baptists find uh, their pastor. Yeah, I don't know how you can ascertain that yeah. that man is biblically qualified. Well, and I think that's part of the problems we're and, finding, and too. And so, so what you have is the question is too often asked is, does he have a seminary degree? Yep. The seminary degree doesn't tell you anything about his theology. He could have sat in all those classes. He could have slept through them, or the fact that he got a good grade doesn't mean that he's really theologically equipped. But you get the idea that the two questions that are usually asked are: Does he have a degree, and can he and can he preach? Does he have the gift of gab? Right. Can he can he give a, a at least a good sermon? And so the the question of and the, so the process of ordination, I think, should include several things. The first of all is a careful examination of the man's life as laid out in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Mm. Uh, Acts 20 brings that out to a degree. 1 Peter 5 brings that out uh, to a degree. And to me, so whether or not the man has a a, a, a seminary degree saying he is, uh, that, that that's not the first question. 
and even in some places, uh, he's not just have a master's, he's got to have a doctorate. I've seen that. That's not a biblical qualification. That's and, right. And, and, and you need to say, this is a preference. It's it's This didn't come from God, this came from us. Let me highlight so that's, two. That's a problem. Let me highlight two at this point, that uh, for those listening, depending on the denomination, like you think mainline denomination, Baptists do not require a seminary degree to be ordained. We're autonomous churches that can ordain on our own what versus like a the Presbyterian or I think even Lutherans, like it's required to have a certain amount of theological education or you cannot be ordained in their denomination. Yeah, and here's the difference, of course, Brian, is that biblically a man does have to have a certain amount of theological education. He needs to be able to confront errant doctrine. He needs to be able to be Certainly. schooled in sound in sound doctrine. So he can't just be formal formal theological. It doesn't necessarily mean it's formal, That's right? right. It, That's right. But but he does have to be a good theologian. And, and and there should be some standard by which that can be tested. And in my context, that's a confession of faith. We have a rather robust confession of faith where there are theological standards that you look at and you ask somebody who's going to be ordained, can you affirm our theological standards? If not, where where do you differ? And there are some areas where you may allow, for instance, our confession of faith identifies the Pope as the Antichrist. So you might say, uh, I think he maybe is an Antichrist. I don't know that he's the Antichrist. Right. You know, and, and there might be something like that, which is different than a really a major theological departure yeah. Yeah. in an area. But where a congregation is schooled in that confession, and we do that by teaching it first Lord's Day of every month in our adult Sunday school class, and then uh, where a, a candidate is is known by the congregation. So this is the difference, I would say, between the coming in for a weekend. And I think in the best context, I think the most biblical context, it's it's not just that this guy can preach, but that he's among us long enough. He's either arising out, and a lot of these elders that we're talking about are going to be men from our own congregation. Right. So you know them, you have an idea of their lives, husband of one wife, got some idea of his finances, an angry person, a striker, is he a drinker? You know, some of those kinds of things you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna know and it's gonna be known in and and by the congregation. And then what is his theology? But then also, you know, what are his gifts? And, and that those gifts I think need to be evidenced more than in one or two trial sermons. So we have to back up a little bit because um and to be clear, you and I have very similar convictions on the ordination and affirmation of these offices. Uh, I'll be the first to acknowledge that this the way that Southern Baptists often find a pastor is a broken system in that someone graduates seminary, they go for a weekend and candidate, and the church votes. That's what you're describing. Right. One of the way as a Southern Baptist pastor, but one who has convictions that the local church is responsible to do what you're talking about. Right. And that is that we're doing our job at our church and many other Southern Baptist churches I know to raise up men for pastoral ministry and to have this working knowledge of them, their gifts, their integrity, who they are. We know them. And so what is ideal, I think, in our in our situation is that when that man's ready to go pastor and he's candidating with a church, that we work with that church right, right, so right, we right. can vouch for his right, character, right. And which is why it's so important. If you're a seminary student somewhere getting theological education, you need to be involved in a local church, 
letting them invest in you like they need to be able to affirm right. you for ministry by the time that you're done with your particular education. Exactly. That's very good, Brian. Yeah, so I think it can be worked out in different ways. That's what part of the benefit of our uh, back and forth on some of this. Yeah, and this is, this is probably a time to mention a resource that we have at Practical Shepherding. There's a little book called Prepare Them to Shepherd, which maps out the four areas that we advocate for in a local church. Test, train, affirm, and send the way you raise up pastors in your local church, both to serve in your local church, as well as to potentially send out to be able to go and and pastor. And so those who are looking for a resource or wanting to think about how how do you raise, how do you raise people up to be pastors and deacons? How do you teach the church about all these things? That resource actually addresses that. Last thing we need to tackle, though, before we wrap this up, though, is we're talking about ordination. Uh, You mentioned the process and then an event. The process we just kind of talked through in that we need to raise up people. We need to know them, invest in them. They need to do ministry in the church. The church needs to be able to see their gifts as well as the other elders. But then we're talking about an event. And again, this is is kind of, I, I describe the the, the raising up and the affirming of, of a pastor in the church is, is like your education. And then the actual event of the ceremony, if you will, of ordination, yeah. where, where Paul writes about laying hands on. Right. And, and it's one of the most meaningful services I've ever been a part right. of when, I do, when we do these things. The event is the – it's like graduation day. Right. You're already graduated. You're already completed that degree. That is the cele- the public celebration and affirmation of it. So wanting to draw that distinction, do you have ordination services, Jim, at the end of yes. the process that you have? Yes. Uh, so the process for us, just real quickly, begins generally with a, with a con- congregational affirmation. So every year at our business meeting, we ask people to put down if there's anybody they believe is qualified to be an elder or a deacon, and if and and we begin a process of investigation if there is one name that comes up a lot, and and then you go through the moral, theological uh, qualifications, all of those kinds of things to see, and give the guy opportunities, teach and preach several times or multiple times, begin to see, and then yeah, that culminates in an actual service, uh, an ordination service where there's preaching. Uh, sometimes guests, other pastors are brought in. There's laying on of hands. There's pr- prayer and celebration in the church. That's great. Yeah, we do something similar as well. We are we are congregational, and so the very last step for us is a vote of the church uh, to affirm this particular person. But it's the other pastors that put forward the candidates for that yeah. because we believe that ultimately, and we'll actually do the same. We'll ask for the recommendation. You know, I think we even call it suggestions, not even a recommendation right. to be clear that that's the other pastors that put forward a pastor pastoral candidate. Uh, but the, our church ultimately votes in affirmation. And that's the final step. Yeah, we do. It's, a, it's similar. It's a little different. We, we, we use a language of congregational suffrage and that is, so this person is brought before the church there's a process, it's usually months along, where the qualifications are opened up, prayer, uh, people, we pray regularly in our gathered prayers, people are exhorted to uh, interact with, and make, and, and then the elders meet with the various folks in the church and, and say, you know, where are you at? Are you encouraged uh, with where this process is? And then some kind of a survey is, mm. uh, of, that is made of where they're 
encouragement or discouragement of whether this person should be, and that's written out uh, a series of questions that are asked and then handed in, uh, then evaluated by the elders. That's good. I think as we wrap up up this episode, I want to say this, that I want to advocate for using the term ordination. I have watched pastors come from churches that are healthy churches that affirm and appoint elders in that church. But because the term ordination is kind of is man made, ultimately, that term, they don't want to use that term. But if you are a pastor and wanting to be an occupational ministry uh, where it's, it's your full time work, uh, there are benefits and ramifications of being of using that terminology. Quick story. There was a pastor who came to one of these churches. He was pastoring near me. And he was asked to do a wedding. He's the he's a senior pastor of a church. He was asked to do a wedding. And it was like a week before the wedding. And he started freaking out when he contacted me. He said, hey, like I'm not ordained because my church didn't ordain me. <laughs> well, I'm affirmed as a pastor. And I, I had to explain it to him. He's like, you, in essence, are ordained. Right. Because that church hired you as their pastor. Exactly. And it's Baptist it's church. the same. Right. However... That put him in a really precarious position, yeah. and I've seen other pastors do that. So if you're listening to this, you know, and you're you're a pastor and you're raising people up, consider if you don't consider being willing to use that terminology for the for the men you're sending out to do, you know, like full time occupational ministry, because one, there's tax benefits and he's legitimately doing the work, and two, uh, there are logistics in regard to weddings and other things that make it a lot easier depending on the state that they're serving. And so mm. keep that in mind. With This terminology matters in regard to that. Any final thought, Jim? Yeah, I really, Brian, you're gonna, we, you want to have the, a good conscience rooted in saying we've gone to the law and to the testimony. We want to root this as best we can in a careful study of the Scriptures. We want to include our people and bring them along uh, to an understanding and an affirmation of we're, we're not we're not just trying to live out a tradition we're trying to follow the word of god and then practically lay out in, in clear ways with the understanding of their fears and concerns of uh, what that means uh, to shepherd them toward this process well if you're a pastor listening to this i want to take a moment and, and pray for you that god gives you wisdom as you continue in this really important task of raising up pe- pastors and deacons in your church Lord, for each person listening, would you um, empower them, give them wisdom to know how to, to do this task you clearly uh, command us to do in the New Testament. Lord, I pray that you would raise up other pastors and deacons in every congregation of each pastor listening to this. We know the pastors are a gift to the church, and we pray, Lord, that you would bless each church listening. There are pastors listening to this who are serving in a hard place by themselves. So we pray, Lord, that you would raise up others to serve with them, qualified uh, to be able to do the work with them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen.